had a good amount of snow recently, more than we typically would expect in a given January here in West Virginia. Uh, thinking of Milton here, thinking of David Spencer. Don't, don't see David here today, but uh, this illustration reminded me of, of them. You know, snow days can be very exciting when you're a kid, uh, maybe less so when you're homeschooled. So this might fall on deaf ears for a lot. But I remember nights in January or February when it would start to snow, and I would hope that school would be canceled the next day. I might even pray for Dr. Suter or Mr. Nelson that they would, they would see lots of snow. And so I'd go to sleep so excited, would wake up the next morning, eagerly look out my window, see snow on the ground. And I would run to our front door to look at the roads to see if anyone had plowed or salted them. And then I would turn on the TV to wait for the scrolling list of counties where schools were closed. And sometime I would see that blessed message, Putnam County schools are closed. And then I would remember that I went to school in Kanawha County. <laughs> and they were still open. Not even a two-hour delay. Terrible. You know, all that excitement... And the hope for a day off just deflates like a cheap balloon. Our hopes in life can be disappointed. People make promises to us and they don't keep them. Or we have an expectation for an ongoing relationship and we lose that person. Maybe they move away. Oh, we'll stay in touch. Maybe we stay in touch. Maybe you don't stay in touch. Lives have veered and relationships just form in new directions. Uh, maybe a conflict or disagreement ruins the relationship. Maybe the person dies. Our family had looked forward to many more years together with Leanne's parents, but in God's plan for them and us, that was not to be. And our hopes for different things in our life can be disappointed. And that happens when we desire and we long for and we pursue something that ends up, sometimes ends up not being worth it. You know, sometimes we, we have hopes and then, you know, doesn't pan out. And other times we, we have hopes and we receive it, but our hopes are disappointed because the thing just isn't worth it. You save up your money as a kid for the best new toy available only to find out, you know, Buzz Lightyear can't actually fly. Terrible. Not on its own. All it can do is fall with style, right? Or maybe you count down the months and the weeks, the days, the hours leading up to an exciting and much needed vacation. I remember, um, it's funny to look back and think about this. In seminary, uh, working a job that really had very little responsibility, right? Bottom end of the totem pole, go deliver this envelope, pick this stuff up from the store. I mean, really, they weren't asking much. And sometimes it's like, oh, this job, I really need a break. I look back 13, 14 years and be like, from what? Your job was a vacation. Like, give me a break. But I remember we had, uh, when we came to visit you guys, we were going to go on a cruise. We were going to be out of, uh, out of town for like three weeks. Elise was a baby. And just like, oh, if, I just, if, I, if that vacation hadn't come, I just, I don't know if I could have made it another day on the job. Like, Peter, chill out. But you, 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 get, you get excited about a vacation like this. Maybe you're going to go to the beach. Oh, it's going to be beautiful. You get to the beach and then it downpours the whole time you're there. I mean, not just a drizzle, right? Not the rain. Be like, no, we could, we could do it. No, like, can't even see the beach. And then you get a cold. This is like, oh, our hopes and so many things that we hope for in this life can disappoint us. 
Sometimes it goes worse than that. Sometimes our, our hope can also just be lost. Sometimes we feel hopeless. That's a, that's a weighty word. This is the, the feeling, not just of disappointment, but the feeling that the things that have gone wrong in my life can never and will never get better. It's the emptiness of having nothing to live for, nothing to look forward to. It's the dark clouds of disappointment and frustration and loss and grief, depression, despair that linger so long, these dark clouds, that we forget what the light even looks like. Could be wave after wave that pound so relentlessly against our souls that we become certain that they will never let up. There will be no rest for me. I think things like that, feelings like this, that David certainly experienced, we read about those in the Psalms, when the wisdom of the God gave him, King Solomon admitted in Ecclesiastes that everything in life is vain. One translation of that is, is a frustrating enigma. Just this, you think, you think you have a piece of it figured out and then 10 things push it in a different direction. It's an unsolvable mystery Life, he said, he says this somehow with wisdom, it's like life is just a brief, frustrating journey toward death. When you're confronted with your weakness, your smallness, your finiteness, your pointlessness, if this life is all there is, then we might as well lose hope and give up. Hope can be lost. Peter, you're, you're a downer today. Well, uh, I thoughts of, of these throughout this week, I, I mentioned at um, our brother Bob's funeral on Sunday. So if you're there and they sound familiar, uh, you're not going crazy. It's much of the same sermon. What uh, I mentioned there that I'm not exactly an optimistic person. I'm, I would consider myself more of a realistic person, which is an optimistic way of talking about a pessimist. But other people may be more optimistic. Maybe you are. You're filled with hope. You're always filled with excitement that things will get better. Absolutely certain that good things are around the corner. And that all sounds great, but how do those type of people, how do you know that that's true? Maybe it won't here get better. Because sometimes our hope can be false. Hope is a powerful uh, emotion. You know, people sick in the hospital, uh, maybe they could get better, but they lose hope. They don't. And then sometimes, and it's not just that medicines don't do anything, just not power of positive thinking, not any of the nonsense that comes out of um, health and wealth type things. If you just think it, you bring it into reality or any of that nonsense. But there is a power in the human spirit of, it's like if you have something to drive you, you can go further uh, than if you have nothing to drive you. But sometimes the thing that could drive you, oh, I will get better. Things will get better. That hope can be false or baseless, based on nothing true or nothing certain. You know, many people look forward to an eternity enjoying the glories of heaven, whatever they think that might be. Many people have a, a hope of that, but since they haven't trusted in Christ, they aren't going there. Isn't there a spiritual that says that? Paul wrote to the Ephesians that if someone does not have Christ, they have no hope. They are without hope. They are without God in this world. Uh, we need something more to build our hope on uh, than optimism. 
More than happy feelings, flimsy platitudes, uh, and the religious equivalent to motivational posters. The little kitty cat. You can do it. And then I'm like, maybe you can't. We need truth. We need hope that lasts. We need hope that doesn't disappoint. We need hope that is based on truth. And that is exactly what is provided for us as Christians in the gospel of Jesus Christ. By God's grace, the, faith, the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae had heard about this kind of hope. Uh, and it had changed their lives. God was transforming them through hope. Colossians 1, 3 through 5 today with the message that God transforms us through hope hope. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this, of this hope, you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you. His sentence continues from 3 to 14, uh, but we'd be here for a while if I hit all that. So we're breaking it up into smaller sections. God transforms us through hope. And here's the progression that I think that Paul is trying to make for these people. I'm actually going to start kind of at verse 5 because you have that word there. It's important, the because of. So the things that came before grow out of or happen subsequent to what happens in verse 5. And what happens in verse 5 is that the gospel proclaims hope. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this, and again, this pronoun points to something else and is pointing to the hope. Of this hope, as I read, you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. So the gospel proclaims hope for us. Raises a good question. What is hope? Well, one author described hope in in these terms. This was an interesting way he was thinking about this. Uh, You gain hope when you have a longing for something, and it's a longing for something that he qualifies. It has to be something worth having that is possible to get, but it has to be difficult to get. And then he says, some of these hoped for things, uh, we can get on our own by our effort, and some things we have to be given by someone else. He says, and if those things are God, then our asking of those things he equates to prayer. So we're asking God for something that we want that is difficult for us to get, uh, but is worth getting, but has to be given to us by somebody else. You could talk about something, uh, I hope for something, but if it, if it isn't worth it, uh, it just kind of weakens the word, right? It's like, I, um, I hope my fridge has water in it when I get home. Like, well, why, why wouldn't it? Like, what? you just have this eager longing to like, that's it? It's like, oh, I really hope we can have uh, tuna casserole for dinner this week. You'd be like, why? <laughs> that's, that's the best that you could hope for? I mean, what about steak? Like, have you heard of steak or pizza or anything other than that? Maybe you guys love tuna casserole, but it's just, if it's not something that's really worth having, then hope just doesn't do it, right? 
Like, I, I hope the sun will rise tomorrow. So it's like, well, it's gonna. Right? Or hope for something easy. I hope I can finish this 1K walk. It's like, well, do your legs work? I mean, you probably can stumble that far. See, it, you see, I was like, but hope is just like, you know, I hope that my loved one survives these di- this diagnosis. Oh, that difficulty, right? A longing for something significant. I hope that this pretty redhead will keep talking to me. And she did. She has to now because we're married. Right? Something worth having in those things. It's not everything is worth having. So not everything kind of gets us into the realm of of hope. Uh, we have all sorts of different things that we hope for in this life, and maybe we have a difficulty or di- difference of opinion as to what is worth hoping for, but we're talking about what hope is proclaimed in the gospel. So we ask what, what hope does, what is proclaimed in the gospel? Is it a hope worth having? Well, we read in the Bible that the gospel proclaims things that are worth having. Like what? The gospel proclaims life forever with God and without sin. Preach the whole sermon on that back in December. That's the hope that we have. A life forever. Life with God, our creator, our father, our redeemer. Life without sin in us and in those around us. The gospel proclaims forgiveness of the guilt of our sin. The guilt that you feel knowing that you are not right before God. The gospel offers a cancellation of the record of debts against you. The gospel offers deliverance or salvation from a deserved punishment in hell. Am I going to have to answer for these things that I've done, even if nobody else knows about them? Yes. But the gospel says you can actually be delivered from the punishment that your sins deserve. Do you see how those are things worth having? Those are things worth longing for? I'd actually say that you were created to long for those things. The gospel proclaims that these things are available. You know, you could have a hope, something worth having. Like, wouldn't it be great if, if I could fly? That would be cool. I wouldn't necessarily make my commute easier. I'd just walk across the lawn to get here, but I, that would be cool. And I could just, oh, I could long for that, but it's never going to happen. It's not available. There's no reality in check with those type of things. But the gospel proclaims that those things worth having, like life forever with God and without sin, forgiveness of our sins, deliverance from our punishment, those things, the gospel says not only are they worth having, but they're also available. They can be attained. You can have those things. You can have life forever with God and without sin. You can have forgiveness from the one that you have sinned against. You can have deliverance from punishment. But the, the gospel also proclaims that our sin makes it difficult. That's not strong enough. Our sin makes it impossible for us to earn or acquire those things worth having for us to get those on our own. So if you're hoping in you to acquire those things worth having, the gospel says you're not going to get them that way. By ourselves, we are disqualified from receiving those things because, as Romans 8 says, the mind, our minds set on the flesh, they're hostile to God. Our minds do not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The gospel means good news, 
though, and for me to say, hey, there are these, the, the best things, right, are available, but not to you. Like, that's not, that's not really good news, right? But the good news of the gospel means that the desirable things that would be out of our reach, the things that you can't get on your own, have been purchased for you. Making it possible for you to be forgiven of your sins, to be rescued from punishment, to live forever with God and without sin. And it's possible, not because of you, but because of Jesus. Because Jesus lived and died in our place as our substitute and then rose from the dead. So that which is worth having and available, but not to sinners, is available to sinners through faith in Jesus. And the gospel proclaims that God graciously offers all of this freely to us if we will receive it, if we'll accept it from him by faith. And when we do that, all the blessings I've mentioned, forgiveness, deliverance, eternal life with him, in fact, Every spiritual blessing is then laid up for us in heaven. He talks about this here. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, laid up carries the idea of something that has been set aside for you, set aside for safekeeping, put away for safekeeping. It belongs to you even though you don't have full access to it yet, or at least you don't have the full experience of it yet. And one of the benefits of these blessings being set aside, reserved for us, like an inheritance, without us having full possession of it, is that we can be very confident that it's not something that we can lose or mess up. These blessings are set aside in heaven, awaiting us. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, I think, kind of a similar line said something like, or I think MacArthur's quoted, it's one of the hard things about hearing so many different preachers be like, somebody, we'll just, somebody other than me first said, it's like, if I could lose my salvation, I would lose my salvation, but it's reserved for us, set aside by a wise father so that we can't mess it up in for instance. It's kind of like an inheritance of money reserved for someone until they turn 18 or 21 or 35 uh, and are mature enough to use it and enjoy it wisely, hopefully. Right? Younger children can't, you know, a $1 bill burns a hole in their pockets and we've got to go to the Dollar Tree and then you got to learn about taxes that a dollar doesn't really mean a dollar depending on what you're buying and then so you always got to carry a nickel and a penny or a couple and that's just parenting, but um, if, if they can't hold on to a dollar for more than 30 seconds, it's like that means if I gave them 10000 or $100,000, like we would just own a Dollar Tree franchise. Not exactly wise use of an inheritance. God has prepared unimaginable blessings for us as his children. And he is storing those blessings for us in heaven. Here's, a, here's another great part about it. He is currently preparing us for the enjoyment of them for all of eternity. He's not holding back out of an unkindness. It's out of generosity, and he's actually working in sanctification to prepare us for the enjoyment of the blessings that he has for us. Hope points us to promises that we will certainly receive in the future. Promises that we will certainly receive in the future, in 
heaven. But that future element doesn't make it less certain that we will receive it. Just because something hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not certain. The scripture regularly in some key passages talks about future things as if they were already experienced. Like those who who were called by God in eternity past, Paul speaks almost in a past tense sense as they, they are glorified. Do you know how many people are currently glorified? One, our Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody else, right? The saints are awaiting their glorification at the resurrection, okay? So to be technical at a funeral, like they are glorified, well, no, they're not, right? They're, they're separated from their bodies. They're in the presence of the Lord. That's glorious, but it's not all that awaits because the glorification happens at our resurrection, But yet Paul says those whom he predestined, he knew, he called, he justified, he glorified. That which is future for all of God's people, almost 2,000 years ago, he spoke of as almost like a past tense fact. Just because something is future doesn't mean it's not certain. The certainty of those things in the future depends on who it is that's promising it. Because when we think about hope, we must think about promises, Whenever you think of hope, you have to think of promises because hope, okay, hope, real hope, okay, biblical hope, Christian hope, gospel hope, hope is built on the foundation of God's promises. If you build it on sand of optimism or sand of platitude or sand of good works, it's going to collapse. But real hope is built on the sure and certain promises of God who knows the end from the beginning, knows all things, is himself eternal, dwelling in eternity. So it's some amazing, uh, not really comprehensible sense. It's like God's already there as time continues to move. So his promises are a certainty to him and he's omnipotent. So he certainly brings to pass all that he says. Hope is built on the foundation of God's promises. Promises of a glorious, joyful future with God for all who trust in Jesus for salvation. And the promises made in the hope-proclaiming gospel are not baseless. They are not false. Paul and the Colossians knew their hope in Christ was guaranteed. It had been laid up for them. Well, who's doing the laying up? I mean, are the Colossians setting things aside? It was laid up for them not laid up by them. So who had laid them up? God had laid them up for the Colossians. So the certainty of hope depended entirely on the source of their hope. So where had they heard of the hope laid up for them in heaven? He tells us. Of this, again, that's talking about hope, in the second part of verse 5, Of this hope you have heard before in what? The word of the truth. What's that? The gospel. The gospel that proclaims hope for us. Paul describes this message as the word of truth because it was a true message. He hadn't made it up. Elsewhere, he writes about not even receiving the gospel secondhand from someone else. Paul didn't like, hey, Peter, what did, 
what do you think about the gospel? Can you give me some pointers? James, John, can you guys teach me some things? Like Paul makes a big point. It's like, that's not, that's not how I got my apostleship. This was from God. I saw Jesus alive. He told me the gospel that I proclaim to you. He knew the message was true. He had heard about it from Christ himself. And then it was testified to us, to them, by the scriptures, by the word of God. So the hope that the Colossians had in Christ and the hope that we have in Christ is certain. It is guaranteed true hope if it is built on the gospel we have recorded for us in God's word, which is ultimate truth. No other book is truth in the sense that the Bible is truth. No other message is truth in the way that the gospel is truth because it is from God for us. And we have it in his word, which endures forever. Having heard the word of truth, we accept God's promises in the gospel as true by faith. And then we accept these promises and then the excitement starts to build. Excitement about receiving those promises that were offered to us in the gospel. And hope, excitement about receiving these promises, it builds, and then what? The gospel proclaims hope, and then hope transforms us. That's the progression. The gospel has proclaimed hope. It's funny, because I'm actually doing this backwards of how Paul writes this passage. The gospel that they heard is the gospel that proclaimed hope, and because of that hope, they were changed. An excellent quote I heard this week about, about gospel or Christian hope said this, Christian hope is a joyful expectation for the future based on true events in the past, which changes everything about my present. Joyful expectation of the future based on true events, life of Christ, in the past, his life, death, and resurrection that changes everything about my present so because of gospel hope, we live by faith in Christ. I heard about your faith, faith that was because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. This faith in Christ at first glance, and so many times when the Bible talks about faith, it's, it's, uh, it's saving faith. It's the initial, right, I trusted in Christ, where Christ is like the object of, of our faith. When I first looked at this, I thought that was the case as well. Uh, the problem, it's like you compare passages with other passages to understand them. And in other places, Paul talks about saving faith is actually what produces hope that produces love. And so this would be, wait, so like faith and then hope, but then faith. It's like, what, and then hope again? I mean, and then love comes in. So it's like, Paul, did you, it's not Paul versus Peter, it's Paul versus Paul. And he wasn't disagreeing with himself. But this type of phrasing, this faith in Christ Jesus, written to those who have already, already have hope in Christ, so they already are saved, is less talking about that, that moment of saving faith by which we are justified. Through our faith, we are justified. And more of the faith that defines our lives as Christians. That's why this is we are living by faith. Not just that we are saved by faith, that's true, but that, that's not the end of it. So we, we then begin living by faith, faith defining our lives as Christians, why we call ourselves believers, right? 
And it's important to recognize that we don't just believe once and then move on to something else. Like faith isn't learning the ABCs and then you move on from it. Our, our lives are lives of faith. Our lives are lives of repentance. We, we live by faith. We walk by faith. We, we grow in faith. Without faith, it is impossible for us to live lives that are pleasing to God. So we continue to trust him with our eternal destiny, yes, but also with our present lives and circumstances. It's not just as if God's taken care of that one big thing and then left you alone to figure out everything else or that he's inactive. He's entirely active in your life. Has brought things, good things and difficult things into your lives to our lives, to my life, to teach us to trust in him, to have faith in now that we are in, that's another way of saying it, we have faith now that we are in Christ, united to him by faith. So God has in control not just my eternal destiny, but also my present life and my circumstances, so I trust him because not a hair can fall from my head outside of the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Not because that would be nice if it happened, but because that's built on the promises of God that it will happen. He has said that all things must work together for my salvation, so they are. Doesn't look like it. That's where trust comes in. Because it doesn't look like it. But it's what's happening because God has said it's what's happening. So we trust Right? It's like, it's not hope if you have it. It's not faith if you see it. Right? I really hope that we can have pizza last night for dinner. What, is that? what does that even mean? Like, it's illogical. You can't hope for something in the past. You can't trust something that you fully understand, then it's knowing, it's not trusting, you see? but Christians are believers because our lives are made up of trusting God. All of our life on earth is to be one of faith and trust in God. So hope transforms us. We have this hope of certainty, so we trust in the one who has given us that hope. And then hope also transforms us in that we love all the saints. Paul had heard of your faith in Christ Jesus because of the hope and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope. Do you see how the text is starting to build now? I heard about these two things. I heard about your faith. You walk by faith. And I heard of your love for all the saints. These two things because of the hope that you have. I'm not making stuff up. Just mixing it around to try to help us to see the point from a new way. We love all the saints. And the importance of this cannot be overstated. Jesus told his disciples that their love for him would be proved by their love for each other, their fellow disciples, their spiritual siblings. Later, John would write that if we don't love our brothers and sisters that we can see, how can we love God who we cannot see? This love is both affections and actions, both of which we need to grow in. Our love for believers is seen in our affections, feelings of compassion and mercy and care and friendship, and our love for believers is also seen in our actions toward those believers, forgiving sins, generously meeting each other's needs, not, oh, be warmed and fed by somebody else, (laughs) doing something about it, generously meeting each other's needs, serving one another, 
encouraging, uh, encouraging one another, confronting one another when necessary, comforting one another in grief, and praying for one another. Do you see how it's in affections and actions that work in a, in a cycle? We, 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 I don't feel like it. Well, do it anyway, <laughs> right? And then the feelings follow and grow, and then we just continue to grow in those things. This love is for all the saints to be given without discrimination. We love Christians near and far, part of our local church here at Risen King and part of the universal church scattered across the world. Love for all the saints. Isn't there, isn't there that amazing spirit-driven love and unity that there is one body? There's one faith, there's one spirit, there's one Lord thinking through uh, passages in Ephesians that Paul talks about for those type of things. And when we meet a fellow follower of Christ, isn't there a, isn't there a union that the spirit brings? Isn't there a, a it's more than a camaraderie, it's, it's, a, it's family. Not just because you happen to like them, but it's kind of like, oh, you, you know and love Jesus? I know and love Jesus. Let's know and love Jesus together. <laughs> love for all of the saints. And, and we, we grow in that locally and we, we grow in that universally, broadly. Not, not everyone is a part of that body and we are to love all, uh, but especially those of the household of faith. And we show that both by supporting those across the world in prayer as we seek to do as a regular part of our gathering and also supporting them with financial or physical gifts as needed, as comes up. Whether they're part of our church, I think that would be primary and also as it's outside of our church. Because of the hope proclaimed to us in the gospel. Because of the hope proclaimed to us in the gospel, we live by faith in Christ and we love all the saints because of the hope laid up for us in the gospel, because we have a certain expectation of receiving the inheritance that God has promised for us, then we're transformed. We cannot miss the order of those things. The hope of receiving God's promises through faith in Christ comes first. Then we are transformed. Then our lives change. And there is a life, probably eternal life-changing difference between these phrases if you do good, trusting and loving. If you do good, then you will inherit eternal life. Difference between that and since you will inherit eternal life, go do good. You have promises through faith in Christ. So trust in him. So love his people. Not if you meet the grade, then you will inherit eternal life. One is the religion of man. One is the gospel. For the Colossians, since the gospel promised them forgiveness of sins and eternal life with Christ, since they had this hope, then they lived lives of trust in Christ and loved his people. What about this? What if you believed, believed for certainty, not irrationally, but believed with certainty that 100 billion dollars was going to be deposited in your bank account. Now, money can go quick, but that kind of money uh, doesn't really go quick. Uh, you have to be really good at losing a lot of money 
to run out of $100 billion. I don't doubt that it could happen. But if you believe that $100 billion was going to be deposited in your bank account, would you still drive around looking at which gas station was five cents cheaper a gallon? I mean, we're not just talking about like, oh, I'm getting a 2% raise of my income this year. I mean, would you really care if milk was $3.59 instead of $3.29 a gallon? Like, oh, Aldi, killing me. If those are the prices, I haven't bought milk in forever. Maybe it has gone up. But you just, I, I just think that the 30 cents might not be as important to you as it used to be. Now it probably is. If you went out to lunch with a friend, would you insist on splitting the bill? Be like, well, you know what? I didn't actually eat as much of that appetizer as you did. So I need you to pay the $4.73 for that. Or it's like, well, I'll, okay, I'll pay, but I, but I need you to pay me back. And the next time you see him, it's like, hey, did you, do you have that? Do you have that $5 from Remember, what does your bank account look like? Like it has to shorten it on the app because it doesn't have enough space for all the zeros. And then you're just like, hey, where's that five bucks? Do you have that five bucks? Be like, dude, what's with the, what's with the five bucks? Uh, you wouldn't badger them relentlessly. If someone owed you $50 or $100, I really don't think that you would badger them relentlessly to pay you back. But maybe you would. But even if you would, it wouldn't be necessary for you to do that. It's not like you would need the money. You're a billionaire. See, when we doubt that we have enough for ourselves, that's when we start to grab and clutch and hoard. When there's, when there's only one pizza slice left, you race your sister or you know, your daughter to the kitchen to grab it for yourself. Earthly treasures, they get a tight-fisted grip on our hearts, but the heavenly treasures, the hope, what we're looking forward to, they aren't like that. Heavenly treasures are unlimited. Unlimited, right? So it's not just like that was the last pizza slice. It's like, no, you're at a buffet. It's not closing anytime soon. The pizzas are just going to keep coming out. It's like, go ahead and grab it. It's cold anyway. I'm getting a better pizza. Illustrations don't always work. But heavenly treasures are unlimited. Well, are they going to bring anything else out? No. Well, heavenly treasures are guaranteed. Is it going to be less than I was hoping for? Is it going to go cold and stale? No, heavenly treasures, they are unfading. So I don't know if you get the point of this, but heavenly treasures are actually better than pizza. (laughs) Heavenly treasures are enough to actually satisfy us. Have you gotten to the point where you just recognize that really nothing else is satisfying? The phone, the car, the job, the raise, the house, the vacation, the camper, the truck, the clothes, the shoes, the win of the game, right? Being the high scorer, getting the reputation that everything just falls miserably short. You know that that's not, that's not actually true about heavenly treasures. <laughs> that they aren't going to disappoint you and they will actually satisfy. Well, actually, you will have the rest. You will have the, like the, the hunger, the thirst will actually be satiated for forever. The, the one who drinks from this well, uh, they're going to be thirsty again, but the one who drinks from the water that I give of them, they're not going to be thirsty anymore. Matter of fact, they're going to be a source of living water for other people. 
Heavenly treasures promised to us in Christ, they free our hearts from greed and covetousness and bitterness. They free our hearts for generosity and compassion and forgiveness. So because of everything that's laid up for us, because the hope proclaimed in the gospel, then we change. God changes us. The gospel proclaims to us hope and that hope transforms us. And there is one other piece, since I'm working backwards, the first piece that I skipped over, and it's a very, very important part. Why is Paul talking about the Colossians' faith and love and hope? Why is he talking about that? Or better yet, who has he been talking to about the Colossians' faith and love and hope? You look at the passage. Is this a congratulations for them? Oh, Colossians, so proud of you guys. Great job trusting Great job loving, great job hoping. You guys are crushing it. Epiphras is so proud of you. So good. Is that who he's been talking to about the faith and love and hope? Is this a congratulations to them? It's not. Who has Paul been talking to about these things? Well, beginning of verse three, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard about your faith and your love and your hope. We are transformed by the hope of the gospel, but it is not our own doing. Paul isn't praising the Colossians. He's thanking and praising God for what had happened and was happening in the Colossians. And so when we think about our own transformation, we must remember that this is God's work in us. That's the context of these statements. Paul's thanksgiving to God in prayer. He prayerfully thanks God for the spiritual fruit that he sees in them. And he doesn't do so quietly and he doesn't do so privately. So many times we might think of Thanksgiving as something that's just kind of like, oh, thank you, God. Let's keep it. Let me mumble this, whisper it, think it. God knows my thoughts so far off. But like biblical Thanksgiving, like it isn't quiet and private. Like it's public and it's it's loud. Oftentimes it's sung. Paul's thanksgiving is an act of praise and confession, admission, with the mighty acts of God among his people being remembered. Like King David wrote in Psalm 109, with my mouth I will give great thanks to the Lord. I will praise him in the midst of the throng. You're the throng in this, by the way. We gather together with God's people and we thank him for the spiritual fruit that he has wrought and produced among us. And it's communicated publicly because it seeks to persuade others to acknowledge the deeds of God. This is a way in which we can be a testimony to unbelievers where something happens and we're not just like, what a crazy coincidence or what about karma or what about this? Be like, oh no, I'm I'm really thankful to God for this. God delivered me. God has been acting. I give thanks to him for these things. Right? Because that's not just like, this is what I'm doing. But when you say that publicly to someone, you're trying to draw them in to praising and thanking with you. And that's what Paul's doing here. Drawing our attention and drawing the people that are within earshot, drawing their attention to the God who is at work in us. That's what Paul's doing. So think about it this way. If God is not active or responsible for what is taking place among the Colossian Christians, if he's not acting, if he's not responsible, then he doesn't deserve any praise or thanksgiving for it. Right? Do you thank someone for something that they didn't do? On occasion, I'll cook dinner for our family. As we sit down, we give thanks to the Lord, provided food for us, daily bread, and more. 
And then we'll begin eating. And as I'll take a bite, and if the meal tastes good, I'll look up across the table at Leanne and start to thank her for the meal. And it becomes awkward because if she didn't cook it, this is like, hey, thank me. No, that's weird. Um, hmm. I'm not going to thank myself because it only makes sense to thank someone for something that they did. Right? This is the part where you nod. You're like, oh, that's a really good, no, sorry. We thank someone who's responsible for the good thing we are enjoying. And if God is not responsible for the change happening in the Colossians, then he doesn't deserve Paul's thanksgiving. But since Paul does give thanks to God for what is happening in the Colossians, it shows that he is active and responsible for the spiritual fruit in them. And in this, we're reminded that our salvation from beginning to end is the gracious work of our sovereign God, our merciful God, our justification, we give thanks to him for that. Our sanctification, we give thanks to him for that. The glorification that we'll, we will enjoy, we give thanks to him for that and we will give thanks to him for that because he is behind all of those things. He is active. He is responsible for that. Gospel proclaims hope. Hope transforms us. Hope is built on promises. God makes promises to us. I will give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. The gospel makes a promise. God makes this promise. Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Right? There's a promise made by God offered to us in the gospel. Colossians 1 later, we look down verse 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So God has made promises. Promises are the foundation for hope. God stirs hope in us about receiving these promises. Romans 8, Galatians 5, it is the Holy Spirit who is praised for stirring up a longing and hope for redemption. You don't just stir yourself up in hope. God stirs you up in hope. Ephesians 1.17, it's the Holy Spirit that we pray would enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we may know the hope to which he has called us. 1 Peter 1 says it the clearest. According to his great mercy, God has caused us, caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God is responsible for the promises. God is responsible for the hope. God grants us faith to trust in him. Ephesians 2, by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the grace, salvation, the faith, in part and in whole, it is the gift of God, not of works. So you have nothing to boast about with it. There's no thank God and thank me for my faith. Just thank God for granting that faith. John 6, no one can come to the Father unless, no one can come to me, excuse me, unless the Father who sent me draws him. We come to Christ by faith that doesn't happen without God's work. So we've got promises and hope and faith all from God and love. God pours his, oh, I have all these. God makes promises to us. Got, got so excited, I got ahead of my notes. God stirs hope in us. God grants us faith. There we go. God pours, now I'm caught up. God pours his love into us. Romans 5, 
God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been giving, given to us. Like we read in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, etc. 1 John 4, love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And later in the same passage, he says, we love because he first loved us. Some would say we love him because he first loved us. Absolutely. And we love others because he first loved us. Absolutely. So I like how the ESV is just like, we, just, we love because we have been loved. God pours his love into us. Did you get so promises make a foundation on which hope is built and then love, faith, continue out of those things. All of it is from God. That's why Paul gives thanks to all of those things. The gospel proclaims hope. Hope transforms us. Or to put it most accurately, God proclaims hope in the gospel and God transforms us through that hope. God, God, creator, eternal one, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. God proclaims hope through the gospel and then God takes that hope from the gospel, transforms us through it. So what are you hoping for? What is it that you want out of life for, out of your existence? What are you longing for? Is it, is it worth going after? Is it attainable? Can you do it on your own? Or do you need help? And that which is truly and eternally worth having it's impossible for you to get on your own. You need it from God. Do you have certainty based on truth that you will receive those things that you are longing for? Only the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaims an eternal hope worth having that won't disappoint you. And the gospel offers that hope freely to undeserving sinners if we will receive it through faith in Christ. That, that hope that hope is available to you. Will you trust in Christ to receive it? It will change your, your present and your future for the glory of the God who will accomplish all those things. Thank you for the gospel, Father, that we have heard that has come to us Thank you for transforming us through that hope. Trans increase our hope and, and increase our transformation through that hope that we would have faith in Christ, live by faith, that we would love one another and that we would praise you for all of these things or your work in us. So as I think of our body, I know that many of us, most of us, all of us, I trust, I know examples of, yes, they are living by faith. See the love that, that a believer has for their brother or sister in Christ, seen in tangible ways. Thank you for that work in us, because you deserve all the glory for it. Amen.